Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game. I am your host, Eric Vanek, and you can find me at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter. And I am joined once again here by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, how's it going, man? Eric, thanks for having me for another week. Yeah, episode five of America's Game. Uh, we're more than a month in now, and we're right in the midst of preseason kicking off for everybody this weekend. So glad to be here. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday evening, right around 7-ish, 7.30-ish. So the Patriots and Giants are over here on my TV screen playing. The Ravens and Titans are about to kick off here. So, yeah, we're getting right into it now. It's going to be good to see all these players finally get out there and play. A lot of these rookies, some of these camp guys that are getting some hype. So I'm super excited to watch all these guys play. Yeah, and I joked last week, you know, we talked a little bit about the Raiders and Zamir White last week and just the fact that people saw him on the field, even though he did very little, just the fact you actually saw him in a uniform actually playing in a real game, like his value went up, you know what I mean? Like it just takes that much. Like we can talk about highlights and OTAs and seven on sevens and camp drills and beat reporter reports and all this stuff. But like, until there's an actual game where you can see these guys on the field and people can lay eyes to like how they actually move. That's when I think you can start getting some of these deals done that we've been trying to make for, you know, a a couple of months now based on OTAs and based on early camp hype. So I'm excited for that. There's a bunch of players that, not that I'm itching to trade, but I think you and I both have a lot of players where we have like a ton of shares of, and I wouldn't be opposed to selling some of them if they have really hot preseasons or make a couple big preseason plays. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. Yeah, I'm always looking forward to doing that if, you know, certain players do hit. I mean, speaking of Zamir White, did you were you able to get any deals done or did you see any deals go down in your leagues for Zamir White after that game? No, I didn't make any Zamir White trades. I actually only had, I believe, four Zamir White shares across my leagues. So he wasn't a player that I was, not that I wasn't excited to see his value go up a little bit, because anytime you potentially could flip a player that you probably couldn't trade for a second plus before, and maybe you have a shot to get that now, like I'm, I'm happy to see that for those that did have a lot of shares of him, but he wasn't one that I had like a ton of. So I wasn't. I looked after last Thursday and didn't really see a spot where it made sense to move them. If that makes sense, because honestly, a lot of those guys for me are on teams where I've already taken kind of like a punt running back approach, you know? So basically just getting back a second in 2024 or something like that. Cause I'm not even sure you can get a 2023 from a lot of people, but a 2024 second, you know, spamming for that didn't really make sense on the couple teams that I had him. So I haven't made any trades and I haven't honestly seen any go down. How about you? No, I didn't really see any trades that went down for him recently. I know me and you did make a trade for him uh, about like a month or two ago. Uh, that was Zamir White and uh, a third round pick for Chenault and a second round pick. And I got the Zamir White and third round side. So I was happy with that. I mean, you know, I could have maybe overpaid a little bit with the second round pick for Zamir, but I, I believe in him. And it's a point per carry league. So, yeah. And I mean, I told you after the fact that I think you won that trade just based on the fact that you stuck me with LaVisca Chenault for a third. And I've been trying to get a third for him. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just all like DNC patrons in there. And they're just like, when they get that offer, they just decline and just say, not interested in a roster clogger. And I'm like, all right, you know, like I rubbed off on you well, you know what I mean? Because these same people that I've been preaching forever don't carry those types on your team. Get out for, you know, thirds when you can, because now I'm stuck with one and it's the wrong league to try to get a third. So you won that trade simply by, I think a a second for Zamir was fair, but you also stuck me with Chenault for the third, which Mm. you're going to be able to use that third in another deal. Whereas I'm going to be literally, you wouldn't be surprised. You'd be surprised at some of the trades I've tried to get rid of Chenault in. Like I give a third for a, a team I think is absolutely terrible. And I still give Chenault, you know, like a 311 for a 303, and they still decline it. And we'll talk a little bit about why that's probably uh, maybe an advantageous trade for both sides, potentially. But, yeah, I mean, like, literally, I can't get anything for him to the point where don't be shocked if we get to a point where I can get a running back body, I'll literally cut him. That's probably how far down he is. Yeah, I... Yeah, I, I definitely didn't want Chenault on my team anymore. He is what we call the roster clogger. And having him on my roster, I probably would have just held on to him all year just based off of his name value, hoping he did something with Jacksonville. But everything that I've seen and read so far on Chenault, it seems like he's not going to be in their plans that much at all. So I'm kind of glad that I got rid of him and he's not on my team anymore. Yeah, and honestly, he's one of those players where, I mean, Jalen Rager and Denzel Mims, I think, are both cut slash trade candidates, but mm-hmm. they're so far gone that I think we've already, like, cut those guys on teams. But, like, Chenault and Brian Edwards, you know, Brian Edwards actually had some life when he went to a new team. He's still probably buried on his new team, you know what I mean? It's not like he's useful at all. He's still a roster clogger. But there was some ability to maybe get like a 2024 third for him when he got traded. There were some people out there on the Twitter streets saying, oh, yeah, I'll take a shot on Edwards for a third. I'm like, perfect. Retweet this in all the leagues I have him in, you know. So we need that for Chenault. We need him to go just literally anywhere. Go to the – he'd be a great fit on the Bears, wouldn't he, Eric? You could get a third if he went to the Bears. Oh, yeah. And I wouldn't want him on the Bears. I could care less if he's on the Bears. But someone would someone would take him for a third on the Bears. Well, you can get a twenty four thirty easily if you went to the Bears. So that's the kind of move we need to just salvage I c- anything. I could care less about any of the Bears wide receivers for a third right now. The only one I would even care about is Mooney. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's the kind of you'd agree that's the kind of depth chart that you'd want him to go to. Yeah, like there or I mean think of a couple other spots he could go to where someone would say, oh yeah, that's worth taking a shot. The problem is, dude, he's on a depth chart right now where you're like, they they need guys and he's still not even relevant. You know what I mean? Like if I had to say like the top three or four teams, I'd want a free agent receiver to go to, like the Jaguars would be in the mix and he's on their team and you still don't even want it. So he just needs to change scenery. So like there's a two week window where there's some fish out there that'll give away thirds, but that's really the only hope for him at this point. Yep. And we got our first touchdown of the evening. Do you want to guess who Brian Hoyer threw the first touchdown to? Brian Hoyer to... No, I won't even guess. Tyquan Thornton. He's he's alive and well. Tyquan Thornton. Okay, that's... 
that's good, right? That's good yeah. for a little buzz. You think you can get a second for Thornton in some leagues? Best ball? Sure, go ahead, try him. I, I'd love to see the deals. I don't. I have one share of him, and that was an an orphan I just picked up recently. That's my only share. Okay, so would you pay a third? I mean, he's been getting some buzz. See, but, see. Um, we're gonna get into it here in a minute, but no, I, I would not pay a third. I will hold on to that third and try and buy a running back start with it later in the season. This would be my strategy with my third round picks right now. Yes. Now that leads us into our first topic with warp and rookie picks. We were going to talk about it last week. And then this week we decided to dedicate most of the show to it. And I think, so your logic with that isn't that Tyquan Thornton isn't worth a third. It's that you'd rather save your thirds and try to do something else with it. Right. Is that, is that what's motivating your thought of potentially even buy? I mean, cause he was a second round pick Eric with a, a team that has an open wide receiver room and a team with an efficient quarterback. Mm-hmm. So like he kind of fits some of the criteria you would look at for taking on a guy like that. So I think there is a little bias with you with Thornton, just because he's on the Patriots. No one thought he should be a second round pick and he went to Baylor. So you're still a little biased against him, Yes. but even then you're not paying a second. And so the cost would be a third. And I'm not even sure in a lot of leagues after a touchdown in preseason and the fact that he was a second round pick and the fact that he's been running with the one some days that I don't think a lot of teams would actually sell for a third. So I think that's one of the disconnects between maybe our way of playing and kind of the way we look at things versus the rest of the community or a lot of people in the community. Mm-hmm. Cause I think a lot of people would say, if you put up a poll right now on Twitter, would you give up a 22 or, tw- or 23 or 24 third for Thornton? I think a good majority, not a majority, but there'd be a good chunk of people, maybe 40, 50% that would say yes. Mm. Like I'll take a shot. You know what I mean? But you're essentially worried. He becomes a roster clogger, right? He basically yeah, just becomes like another Jacoby Myers or Kendrick yeah. Bourne or something like that. And you yeah, just don't even know when to play him. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't know when to play him now in best ball. He's definitely uh, somebody that's rosterable. Uh, you could probably get a, you know, do the third round pick for Thornton and that in a deeper best ball league. I'd be fine with that just because you, you know, you can get that spike week whenever he has a, you know, you know, he's going to have a big touchdown at some point this year with his four, two wheels that he's got. Um, but that's probably where I want to do it. And lineup leagues, when the hell am I ever going to know to play him? You know, it would literally take Devonte Parker, Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers to all be out. <laughs> That would be the only time I'd want to play him. Yeah, it's just interesting because if you described some of the things we would look for for a player you'd want to take a shot on, even at that price point, draft capital check, open depth chart without another. I mean, the Patriots do not have another top 60 receiver in Dynasty on their roster. So that's the thing. Like, they don't have two guys in the top 40 that are blocking him. You know what I mean? It isn't like he's on, you know, the Chargers or something like that. Yet people are easily paying thirds for Josh Palmer. Yeah, why can't Tyquan Thornton in a year be actually ahead of where Josh Palmer is? And then if you look at the quarterbacks, I mean, obviously it's Herbert versus Mac Jones. But Mac Jones was so efficient. I mean, I do think he becomes one of those guys that whoever the ones that are, that are getting the ball for the Patriots, whether it be the tight ends, the wide receivers, whatever, they're they're going to be better than some of the situations that other players are valued higher in. 
So I'm just I'm just pay, playing devil's advocate on Thornton because he has all the things that you'd look for. I do think there's a little bit of bias in where he came from and what level he came from from like a Devi perspective. And we just haven't fully accepted that he might be a little bit different. So I'm not saying I'd, I'd want to pay for a third, but I can understand where a lot of people would. Mm-hmm. Which makes you say, okay, well, that's one of the few players I can probably trade that's potential roster clogger for a third. So I'm just going to take the pick, right? Like if you get an offer in a lineup league today, after tonight's game, for Thornton to take a 24 third, are you accepting it? Probably not, no. 23 third? No. So you want more? I would want more, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you wouldn't pay a third, but you wouldn't accept one either. No, I, I, I think I would be I'd be okay with paying or uh, getting the third now that you mention it. Just if, if I especially a 2023 third, something I could use during the season. I thought you meant the other way around. I'm sorry, but uh, but get getting the 2023 third for him, I think I'd be fine with because I would free up a roster spot one for to pick up. You know, any running back with a pulse, if I can pick up a Jalen Warren or somebody like that off of waivers, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And I gain the third round pick that I can use during the season to buy a spot start running back um, or use it to upgrade in a trade. You know, if I give up, you know, the third to move up to uh, and get the other team second, something like that. Yeah, and I think this is one of the players where you could probably do that, where the majority of people would pay the third, at least half the people you would send it. Mm-hmm. You just spammed Thornton for a 23 third in leagues where you had him, that you have a decent chance of probably getting it from a couple of the managers. So that might be one where you take advantage of, because there's a lot of players, before we get into the warp topic, I mean, how many times in just the last month have you tried to spam players for thirds? Players that you've read good blurbs on or that are trending on Twitter You've tried to get thirds and then gotten declined. I mean, have you been trying that? I've tried it a few times. I haven't tried it recently just because I've been busy doing the training camp notes and stuff for your channel. Um, but I did do it for Tyler Algier when that first came up. I tried for seconds, actually, because I did draft him in the third. Uh, see if I could get a second for him when the news came out that, oh, he might be the starter. Uh, those all got declined pretty quickly. So I tried that. That didn't work. And I tried for some other players that aren't necessarily rookies, but were doing you know pretty good, like Devontae Parker, who we talked about last week. And I think I got maybe one Devontae Parker trade done. So, you know, th- people, like we, we always say on this show, they're getting a lot smarter and they're not accepting those trades that they would have accepted three, four years ago. So that's basically what's going on right now in the dynasty landscape that I'm seeing. Yep, which is why the preseason is important, which is why this is the this is the window to liquidate those players for picks and have the picks in the chamber for the season. Quite frankly, that that's what it is. Cuz once you get into the season, the dynamics change in terms of who wants picks, who's trying to sell picks, you know, all that goes out the window when points start getting scored. So I think the next month is going to be crucial to follow the tailwinds of these preseason games and preseason performances to be able to add some extra draft picks. At least that's going to be my plan. Yeah. But speaking of draft picks, so I want to get into the warp data. We've talked a lot about warp uh, episode two. We talked a lot about it, Uh, but I'm pulling this from AOD 2020. Uh, Jordan McNamara was on the destination Debbie AMA last week. 
talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to pull up this stuff specifically because we've talked a lot about warp. We've talked a lot about positional warp and positional advantage. Uh, but this chapter in AOD 2020 uh, talks a lot about draft pick warp and the different in, difference in warp from pick slots. So starting at pick one all the way to the end of the fourth round. So you're talking pick 48. And the warp graph, you know, what is the warp for each one of those players or pick pick placeholders the first three years of their career? And I think it's actually accurate because the first three years of a player's career, I think, are huge signals to what their dynasty longevity is going to be. You don't see a lot of players that had no warp for the first three years of their career end up as actual commodities that people want to trade for in leagues. You know what I mean? Most of the players that people are actually out there trading picks for or are interested in trading for or selling away are players that are, I don't know, call it top 100, top 150, top 200 players, right? But that's where the majority of our trades are coming from. Uh, And this is interesting because if you look at, and maybe we can um, we can put a link to the the book in the description of the show. But if you look at the chart, essentially, you know, all the way from 101 over the first three years, a 101 gives about a 1.75 warp, and it slowly declines to where even when you get to 106, you're talking about 0.8. So the yeah. difference between 101 and 106 is it's more than double in terms yeah. of you know, impact on your roster. But then the even bigger thing or the bigger takeaway from, to me is that even from the one Oh six to the two Oh six. So we're talking about pick six to pick 18. The difference in warp is really only like 0.4 ish, which is almost the same. Does this look similar to you to what, like the wide receiver, warp chart looks like to where not that there's no difference, but we're talking minimal warp between like a one Oh six and a two Oh six. And how many rookie drafts have you looked back on in the past and said, there's a massive gap between the one Oh six and the two Oh six, right? Yeah. I've, I've thought that quite a bit. Yep. Like a lot of times you're, you're like, Oh, there's a tear break at one eleven or two Oh one or, you know, I, there's, why would I trade back from the, you know, 108 to the 205. That seems horrible. All I'm getting is, you know, the 202 and the 205, and I give up the 107. No way. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. Yet, according to this, you know, I know this is just in a vacuum and it's over three years. So it's kind of hard to quantify it unless you're using like large numbers and you have a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. But just kind of following this chart, I mean, what was your first takeaway when I showed this to you? Did you see anything in here where you go, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe I'll start thinking about picks a little bit different. And we're just talking about like the first couple rounds. Yeah, I think one of my first takeaways was like the the second and really the third round picks, like just how flat it was between those. There wasn't much difference in between all of those. And it was almost like the thirds like didn't even mean anything. To me, at least, uh, there was like very minimal warp value between those. So it made me think like, what is even the point of even having thirds and fourths and fifth round picks, especially the fourth and fifth round picks? I think um, I don't have it up in front of me at the moment, but the fourth and fifth round picks, I think they they ended up having like a negative warp value, didn't they? 
Yeah, so what you're referring to is basically once you get to about pick 30-ish, so we're talking mm-hmm. like the 306, uh, the warp hits zero. And then anything after that, it starts to go into the negative. Now, so the way I interpret that, and you know, if anyone knows differently or if Jordan listens to this and he hears differently, the way I interpret that is that you're starting to get to the point where depending on your format, depending on how many starters there are, uh, there's probably, you know, because to calculate warp, you have to come up with some sort of standard as to what the, the lineup settings are, right? Like it's going to be changed when you have a lot more starters, a deeper league. It's going to be slightly different. But when you start getting to, you know, outside of the middle of the third round, there's certain formats where, I mean, inherently you know this. But if I tell you, Eric, you're going to be in a league that has 12 teams, nine starters, and 25 roster spots. How, how are you going to view the third and fourth round picks in that league? Yeah, I'm not viewing them very much because of how shallow the rosters are and with how many you know starters you have with nine. None of those third rounders and fourth rounders, like there's like a three percent chance probably that they would ever even be in my starting lineup. And if they did, they would probably be running backs. Uh, most right. likely, I would be hammering those running backs in rounds three and four and just using those guys as someone to roster see what happens with them, you know, injuries or whatnot. They move up the training camp depth chart, you know, start getting some playing time, but taking like receivers or tight ends in that range, those guys are never going to crack my lineup. Yeah. And I think that's both the start nine and then the 25 man roster spots. And I think we already know that inherently when I say, Oh, it's only 25 man rosters. You're not going to value the third and fourth round picks very much because those are always going to be on the fringe of even being rosterable. If you grind the lineups and you grind the rosters like we do, mm-hmm. it, most likely our teams are not going to have room to add multiple third and fourth round picks every single year. Cause we're always filling up our team with, you know, waiver wire players and stash players and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I think this warp comes in is especially if you're in a shallower league, a, holding a player that was picked in the fourth round of a rookie draft is almost negative value to your roster because the roster spot is worth more. Being able to turn the roster spot 15 times throughout a season is actually worth more to you potentially than holding one single player in that roster spot for the entire season. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, you know, how do I ever get value out of that? Well, I mean, if you have 15 shots to pick up a player, think about when we played in FFPC, you know, it was 20 man rosters. How many players were out there on waivers where you could say, oh, that guy had one good game and you could get a third for him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you could have got him on waivers. Yeah. So if you just make one transaction every week where you cycle out a roster spot and you hit on one player throughout a 15 week season and you get one third round pick, you've actually turned that fourth round pick that you might've wasted a roster spot on into a third round pick just by cycling the roster spot 15 times throughout the year. And that's where you kind of come up with these negative warp values where it's like, yeah, you shouldn't really, not that the player has no value or the player, you know, gives you negative warp. He's not taking points away from your team, but he might be actually hurting you from a roster spot standpoint because you're not filling that roster spot with something that could actually give you some warp. So that's kind of how I take away from it. And then the second thing was, yeah, man, like I think, I mean, Jordan talks about it all the time too, but 
as long as you're in this range, and I think you would agree every year between the 106 and the 206, wouldn't you say generally that range is for first and second and maybe early third round NFL picks? Largely, all of those guys are in that range. Yeah, pretty much. Like rarely do you see a fourth or fifth round NFL pick at the top of the second round. And if so, that's probably a shitty draft class. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like with that last year, we'll take or the 2022 class. Isaiah Spiller was going in the high second, middle second. Um, but that was a bad draft class without yeah. quarterbacks to push them down. Right, right. I think it, I think my point is typically when you're looking at those picks from the mid first to the mid second, a lot of the players in those ranges already hit the prerequisite draft capital that we would be looking for, for prospects anyway, right? Like first round, second round for running backs, maybe early third round for running backs. And then like mid second and earlier for wide receivers. And then first round quarterbacks, maybe first top 50 pick tight ends. That's what you're going to find in that range. And I think Jordan's point that he's preached for years has been, we are not good at predicting especially players that are scrunched into the back half of the first round and the early part of the second round ish. We're not very good at picking which one of those guys are going to be great and which ones are going to be average and which ones are going to bust. So whenever you can trade back and get multiple shots at players in those ranges, I think that represents what this warp chart is saying is that if you can get three picks in this range, that's always going to be advantageous than making that single pick at 106 or 107. And that's very easily said, very tough to do in practice, because how many times have you been confident that you're at the 106 and you're getting the smash player and that's at the end of the tier and there's no way you're trading back? Like, isn't I mean, I think two years ago, remember the... Uh, the chase and Najee and Pitts class, right? With the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Right. You remember that year where there was a clear tier break at like 110 ish, right? Yep. After like Mac Jones went and then it was all receivers. Yep. And how many times did someone come to you during that year and try to get one of your top seven or eight picks where you were going to get Javante or ETN and you were like, no way, I'm not trading those guys. There's no way you wanted to drop back to the 112 and have to take Jalen Waddle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yet this chart kind of says be agnostic to the positions and just chase the pedigree in those ranges. And if you could have gotten two picks in that range, you would have had a better shot than just making that one single pick. Now that doesn't apply to every class, but you kind of understand the logic. So with that said, does that change at all how you view, especially like your later firsts? This upcoming year, like, are those picks you're thinking about, you're a little more apt to moving and you're willing to move maybe around the board a little bit more, like pretend we're fast forward into 2023 rookie class. I mean, anything change in your mind of how you're going to maybe behave? Yeah. I mean, I could definitely look to trade back and get, you know, two seconds for it or something like that. If I could move back and get a 2024 first, uh, and maybe a you know a later second. I I think that's something I would consider for sure. And then I you know I can have that leverage for next year to have that 2024 first because we weren't able to do that this year. Like 
you had to offer up the 101, maybe the 102 to even get a 2023 first this year. But usually you could offer up, hey, you know, I got my 108 here. I'll give it up for next year's first and maybe like a later pick. And and most most of the time people are going to do that trade with you. But this year that was not happening. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that you really root for these strong rookie classes. It's not it's not because you think all the players are going to be incredible. In fact, mm. I think next year's rookie class is good, but it isn't so talented and so amazing that every player I'm confident is going to be good. But even in classes with stacked groups like this, you would be arrogant to think that every player drafted in a certain round range in the NFL is going to be a smash for dynasty. We already know that's not true. If there's four first round quarterbacks, we pretty much know we're going to get a couple flame outs in that. We're going to get a couple Sam Darnolds and Daniel Joneses. You know what I mean? We're just are. Yeah. And same with wide receivers. Like we might get a couple guys that smash, but we might get a couple guys that are just like, you know, Jerry Judy or Mike Williams, you know, those they're solid. They're solid players. They're going to be around, but they were never players that are like, okay, I'm going to give you the farm to trade for one of those guys. They're just solid commodities that really, if you hit on a receiver in a draft, like if you hit on like Jahan Dotson this year and he becomes a top 40 receiver, you don't really feel like you smash that pick, do you? You just feel like, hey, I got a solid piece. I didn't blow that pick. I didn't draft Jalen Rager or Nikhil Harry. Or Christian Watson. Or Christian, well, okay, Christian Watson. Give him a little bit of a time. Come on. (laughs) But the point is, you feel like you just were neutral on that pick. You feel you didn't piss it away, right? Right. But you really never, a lot of picks in that range, you never really feel like you're going to make a profit on them. So you just hope that they can contribute. They can hit that 0.5 warp range if it's a wide receiver, you know, or they have maybe one top 12 season if it's a running back. And you would take that. But really what we're looking for is those picks that deliver – the home run warp, you know, the one out of 50 players that just absolutely smashes and gets to that range that is, you know, truly difference making. And that's what this chart kind of reflects that, you know, generally that comes from the high end picks. Even when he drops down to the 1.04, Eric, it's about one warp for the first three years, mm-hmm. 1.04. And I think in a lot of classes, people would look at the 104 and go, man, that's a stud. That's a really good player. Next year, I mean, that's probably going to be a top 10 NFL pick. Yet this warp says that's probably a little bit overvalued. And that doesn't even account for the fact that you may not hit on the player. You know, you you literally might draft like Tua with that pick. And it's just like a neutral quarterback and that's it. And that makes me think a little bit more, especially next year when I think there's going to be the hype for the class of making these types of deals. And I think you nailed it. If you can get... If you can move the 106 on the clock and get a 24 first and slide back to the 203, sure, you may not get the position that you need. You may not get the player that you want, but you're probably winning the trade on principle just based on this warp chart. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to fathom. And I'll push back on you with this. It's easy for us to say we're going to do that now, right? But you're on the clock next year. And you really need a running back. And the RB3 who went in the early second round is on the board at the 107. And there isn't another running back that you feel comfortable taking in the next seven or eight picks. 
is that is that a is that a spot you have the discipline to move off that player and just say trust the process and ignore the potential positional need and just take the first and the 203 for your 107 even though you're literally potentially plugging in a day one starter running back yeah that's tough i mean it just the way you put it with, you know, that this is the clear number three running back. You're going to obviously use him. You've got high draft capital. You know, you're weak at the running back position on your roster. It's really hard to just pass on, on that. But in doing so, maybe you can get two shots at a running back. You can, you know, you got your 203 now and your other second round pick you know, most likely you can get two running backs there and just take, you know, more shots at that running back. Maybe you could trade uh, up a little bit again. Maybe that player doesn't take that second. Maybe you could trade up with those two seconds to move back up to the 107 and get that. So that gives you some more flexibility of things to do as well with that. But I don't know. I'll give you another example because think back a couple years ago to the 2020 draft again. Remember? Right. Can you think of a running back that got drafted in a spot and had second round draft capital yet was treated as a outlier among the big five? So you had Dobbins, Akers, Swift, Taylor, and Edward Solaire. This guy, I believe, only got picked a couple slots past Dobbins or acres. I think both pretty close within 10 picks of both yet. We never pushed him up the board at all. And in hindsight, if you look back a couple years later, forget about the Dobbins and acres injury. He pretty much slides right into the warp chart that we talked about with the running backs, because that's the other thing you might sit here and go, okay, I got a draft. Let's just say it's, Tank Bigsby next year. That's the guy you're eyeing at your 107, right? And he gets a decent landing spot. He goes in the early second round. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's just say hypothetically it does. You can't pass him up. He's basically like you see him as another potential Javante Williams type. Maybe he has like a veteran in front of him, but you're not worried about that veteran for more than half a season, right? Mm -hmm. Say it's like Kenneth Walker. Next year's Kenneth Walker, okay? So he's got somebody in front of him, but it's not like so worrisome that you're like, he's blocked for three years. Yet when you think about when immediately we get to the NFL, what would you say if Kenneth Walker is just David Montgomery? You'd immediately put him in like he's a minimal warp guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the other thing is we fall in love with the landing spot and we envision that this brand new rookie running back, regardless of his pedigree, his landing spot, everything. We see stars. We immediately think, oh, this guy could be a mega star. When in reality, what percentage of running backs, even with that profile that we would love, we would love if Tank Bigsby, who's been on the radar to go in this spot for three years, actually got that draft capital. But in reality, what is the odds that he is a one or one or higher warp running back? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely less than probably 25%. Right. So when I factor that in, that's why you would be willing to trade down into the a little more uncomfortable range where maybe you take the guy that went 20 picks after the guy you want and is in a block situation. 
Mm-hmm. And you'd go, oh, that guy's not going to hit right away. And you know who I'm referring to from 2020? I'm thinking A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon. Now, again, I don't want to use the injuries and stuff, but can you imagine if you would have traded back from the spot you drafted Akers or Dobbins or Swift and got an additional 2021 first mm-hmm. and A.J. Dillon? And what if you're, I mean, 2021 first, hell, the top 12 picks in 2021 were pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, you had the five quarterbacks, you had Waddle, Devontae, you had Najee, you had Chase, you had Pitts, yeah. Right, ETN. ETN, yeah. So you look back at that and you go, okay, so I traded up. And Cam Akers has had an Achilles injury, and he's recovered, and his values bounced back, right? Yep. But right now, looking at that trade, Cam Akers and A.J. Dillon are probably in the same warp bucket, wouldn't you say? Yeah. So, and I like that's just an example where, and I was guilty of it. You and I in 2020, if we had those picks where we were able to get one of those five running backs, we weren't fucking moving it, were we? Nope. We were not trading it back outside of the running back range. We were blinded to, it's got to be one of these five if I'm in the position to get one of these five, I'm not taking a receiver. Rarely did I even take like Herbert over one of those guys just because you couldn't move off those running backs. They were the next coming. Yep. So, I, I was definitely blinded to that with Herbert because I was taking those guys over Herbert every day of the week. And, you know, I had like maybe like one or two Justin Herberts on, on my teams after that. So kind of kicking myself for that. Well, and. I won't even necessarily say Herbert was a miss because I do think if you just chase draft capital for quarterbacks, it can be a little risky too. I mean, if you did that in 2021, we, we overcorrected in 2021 and we largely faded Javante and Najee if we could have gotten Fields or Lance, you know what I mean? Right. So it was the opposite. So I think my, my takeaway from this is just to kind of paint a picture of what 2022 or 2023 could be is we're going to get into these drafts and there's going to be opportunities to move off of these picks for those deals. And the players that you feel uncomfortable trading away, the spot you feel uncomfortable trading down in, is more than likely going to be the spot that somebody wants to come up and give you the first in a trade back. Everyone wants to trade out when the tier is flat and it's the next tier starting. But nobody wants to give up, you know, the extra first to move up six spots. That's something I've been blind to doing in a lot of drafts, which is, I I wouldn't say it's cost me, but it's cost me a lot of value that I've left on the table. And I think this warp chart kind of backs it up. So that's how I took this, you know, took this away from this exercise and I'm going to maybe play it a little bit differently, especially with those late first, early seconds. We really have to look at that pick range and say, this is a coin flip with these players, regardless of their situation. If the draft capital is largely the same, trusting the data over a large number of leagues is mm-hmm. to kind of always take the trade back and still draft the player. You still want to get a player within the pedigree range that you're talking about. You don't want to trade so far down that you're picking third and fourth round players, but be, be willing to trade out of the uncomfortable zone and maybe take a player that has not the greatest situation on the surface, which has caused them to fall. Maybe, six to eight picks in the rookie draft. So I don't know if you have any final thoughts on that. 
Yeah, one quick thought that I had. So if you look at the 2021 class again with that, would it just depend on, like, say, at two, you know, the 111, 110, you were getting Devontae and Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle was the sixth overall pick. Devontae, I think, was 11 or 12. You know, if you can get the sixth overall pick or the 11th, 12th overall pick at the 110, 111, do you think that is worth moving? I mean, those guys could, you know, smash. I mean, Waddle is, has, did really good his first year. You know, does it kind of just depend on what players are there? Like if it's like a, a James Cook, let's say from this year, a, se- a late second round pick running back, you know, does that change it based off who the player is and their draft capital for you? Uh, it's a good question. I think it's more than a simple answer to. I think this also plays into something that I know you and Ray and I talk about all the time is player bias. Quite frankly, the reason the 2020 draft went the way that it did and the 2021 draft went the way that it did is largely because people had their minds made up already on the players and they talked themselves into their situations and they didn't come off of it. Like we were convinced that Justin Fields was great based on the fact that he could run and he was so good in college that we probably ignored just a little bit what the league was saying about him falling in the NFL draft, right? So the fact that you could have traded out of Justin Fields, picked up a future first, and at the time it was 2021. So you probably could have got a 2023 first and traded down to Waddle for Justin Fields. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and you and I were, every time we picked at the 102, 103, 104, it was more often than not Fields or Lance over Chase and Pitts. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we were not willing to trade off of a Fields or a Lance, even on teams where I had stud quarterbacks. I'm going, there is no way these guys don't smash. And I'm not trading one of these quarterbacks to the teams that I know need quarterbacks. I'm just going to hoard them. When in reality, I should have been like, okay, you know, I have Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert on this team. I should probably trade back and get the extra first two years from now in 2023 because we were already on 2023 picks back in 2021. Yeah. And you could have gotten them so much easier. So I think that's how I would look at it. And really, it was a a guy like Waddle who went, went in the top 10 of the NFL draft should not have fallen to the end of the first of rookie drafts. In hindsight, we would not probably let that happen going forward. But I say that until next year when we have five first round quarterbacks and four top 40 running backs, people may do the same shit again. You know what I mean? And they are just going to be blinded on Zach Evans or Tank Bigsby or Jameer Gibbs. And it doesn't matter where they go. If they go in the top 50, they're getting pushed way up the board because they're running backs and people have liked them forever. Right. And you mentioned James Cook. He's the opposite. James Cook really went in the same spot A.J. Dillon did. But why did we not value James Cook? Why did we not value A.J. Dillon? Because we didn't have them up there for years before. Yeah. So we just couldn't accept the fact that, oh, that guy was overdrafted. No way he should have gone in the second. I can't take him in the first round of a rookie draft. So I think it does come down to the bias. And the positive thing about 2023 is there's a lot of bias in the positive end for these players already. As long as a lot of players we've been talking about for a couple of years actually get the draft capital, I don't think you're going to have any problem making these moves. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's a chance that it could happen again next year, like you said, if we get these four or five first round quarterbacks, you know, that are being sort of projected right now. If we do get three or four or five running backs that are drafted in the first or second round again, you know, we could be looking at JSN, Kayshawn Boutte, Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, whoever, you know, those guys could be falling to your 111, 112s, 201s again. And, you know, look what, you know, look what Jalen Waddle did with that falling to like the 111 in your drafts, you know, it could be something you could look at. Yeah. And I mean, it'll be interesting to see if you're stuck holding a lot of the first next year, you shouldn't panic if you're stuck holding a lot of first next year, because I think you're going to have like fertile ground to be able to make these type of moves. Uh, But just remember and think about this next year when you're, you know, holding three or four firsts or a couple seconds and you're all within this range. Don't be as, I don't even want to say it's arrogance, but just don't be as sure that you know which players are going to be good and which aren't, especially if you're in 40 leagues. Definitely take some, you know, some thought on how you're going to diversify, you know, how you're going to move back, take the move back deals when they're available because they're not going to be available in every league. And don't necessarily be, we should never be looking at a roster and saying, this roster is two running backs away, meaning I need to go against the optimal moves just to get running backs in the draft. Mm -hmm. I think that's where you start losing your process a little bit when you go, okay, I have a stack team. I just need two running backs to contend. I'm going to give up the farm just to get two running backs in the draft. Because really there's someone that's probably beating you from a work perspective uh, by having you trade up and then you trade back with them and they pick up the extra capital. Uh, last thing I want to ask you just about the warp. So with the second and third round picks outside of the top 18, right? Where I said it kind of just starts to flatten out. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you going to apply that during the season? Because to me, like just for instance, when you get to pick 30, so the 306 in a 12 team league, the warp is basically zero. After that, you mentioned it goes into negative because of the roster size and whatnot. But even at 24, so you're talking the end of the second round, you're talking about 0.1, warp for a 212. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't that make you say, and I'm looking at my portfolio right now. So I have 77 third round picks in my leagues across, I believe that's in 56 leagues. I have 77 thirds, 64 seconds, and 64th round picks. And one of the mistakes I made this year was I made way too many of those picks, even though most of them were running backs. Same with you. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm going to try to be a little more cognizant this year on trying to get rid of some of those picks, especially like my contending seconds, any thirds, any fourths. Like this chart says, if I get one spot start or one upgrade where it helps my lineup, even for a couple weeks, that's more valuable than three years of warp at a 212. Mm-hmm. So does that change your strategy at all about next year? Like just being willing to kind of throw seconds, thirds and fourths into deals to get the deals done that you want over the next couple months? Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, we always talk about it as trading for those spot starts at running backs with like your third round picks or fourth round picks, whatever. You know, I'm still going to be doing that this year. And this warp data makes me think, okay, we're on the right track. We're doing the right thing, you know, because these late thirds, middle thirds, whatever, any of the thirds, basically, um, and fourth rounders don't mean anything. You're almost losing uh, warp by 
having them on your roster or using them. So in return, I might as well go ahead and use them and try and buy spot starts at running backs or, you know, spot start at receiver or whatever it is. Go ahead and do that for my team and I can you know, use po- get positive warp off of that by using that player for that week. So that's kind of what I've been, you know, take took away from this data. Even like you said with the the late second round picks, you know, if I'm a contender, if I know I'm going to be the 210, 211, 212 range, you know, even that, you know, go ahead and, and try and get a better player for it to help you during your season or move it, you know, go ahead and trade your second and a player to get a, a future first, even if it's a 2024 first. I think that's another way that you could go about doing it as well. And so what about going back to the very beginning of the show? We were talking about Brian Edwards and LaVisca Chenault, the guys that you can't sell for thirds even that you would consider to be roster cloggers. Do you think there's a shot you could maybe go to somebody and say, pick, pick me a roster clogger that you would say is a player that like you have on teams, but probably can't get a third. Just throw a name at me. Kenny Galladay. I mean, you're, I know you're kidding, but you're not kind of not kidding, mm-hmm. but let's just use LaVisca Chenault just as Brian, Brian Edwards, or Brian so. Edwards. Okay. Brian Edwards. So let's say I've already spammed for a third. This is not best ball. So it's a lineup league. Maybe it's a start 11 or start 10. I've spammed for a third. No one will give me a third for Brian Edwards. Now, in a start 11 or a start 10, I really don't even want a third. If you just think of the conversation we're having, right? Like I'm not necessarily smashing if I get that third. What I'm doing is I'm giving myself a little more flexibility to move the third somewhere else to get another piece, right? Right, you're correct. And then the idea would be I can now use that third to maybe add to my late second, maybe get a higher second. So I think yeah. it's it's almost like my takeaway with these later picks is A, buy points with them. You already said that. But B, maybe use some of these picks where even if I trade the 209 for the 203 and I give away a player that's probably still a win because the 203 is kind of in this range where I know I can move around the high end of the board easier. You know what I mean? If I have the 203, I have a much better shot of even trading up cheaply to get a player that I want. If you want to go the other way, I'm in like striking distance of the, the prime warp range of a draft versus being stuck at the 210 or 211, where doesn't it feel like if you're drafting a 211 or 210 in a draft, you're kind of still just throwing a dart. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's a better dart than a third, but it's still like, oh, I'm drafting this third round receiver or this second round quarterback. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll take a shot. But you really, there's that spot in every draft where you're like, okay, I don't really feel confident picking pedigree at this spot. So how do I get out of those picks? And the warp data reflects that. So I think we need to be a little more cognizant of being creative and take some more risks too. Teams, you know, are really good. Literally, take a player that you can't get a second for, but you don't want to sell for a third. Say Kenny Galladay, right? Mm-hmm. Take Kenny Galladay and a late second and literally try to trade that pick to a fringe contending team or maybe one of the worst teams in the league. Maybe not the worst team that's clearly tanking, but one that like clearly needs some extra players. And just bank that that's a five-pick upgrade in the second round. And then you have that 204 next year instead of the 209. 
the 204 is a pick you may be able to move around the board easier than the 210 or the 209. Right. And all and you really gave up is a clogger that you couldn't get a second for anyway. Right. So I think that's how we have to probably think about these things. And that leads to my next question. We need to, and the listeners, give us feedback on this. Uh, post on the Twitter when we post the show. Reach out to me directly. Uh, I want to know what tools people use to measure the strengths of their teams. I know Kitchen or uh, KTC has one. Football Guys has one. Dynasty Nerds has one. Like A lot of places have tools to measure kind of like relative strength of rosters. But you need some sort of barometer to figure out, okay, when does it make sense to trade a second and a player for a second? And I'm confident that I'm getting the better second back in the deal. So give, give me some feedback on what you use, because I think that's an important tool uh, that can help us exploit these warp deals. No, that, make, that makes total sense. I mean, I'm going to be trying to get, you know, tr- trade these, you know, if I can give that late second and, and move up to get another person second, it's like you get that kind of offer in your inbox, like, man, this guy's giving me a second and a player for my second. Like, that's almost like an insult, you know, a little bit. But you might get some people that accept it. I haven't, like, come across those offers way too many times in my dynasty career, honestly. Like, if I kind of got that offer, I'm, I'd kind of be, like, dumbfounded. Like, what? Is, is this real? You know, kind of kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that could kind of work for you. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see if we can get some of those deals done this year and see if we could – kind of, you know, make that more of like the norm almost. Yeah. I think you just start with your stronger teams and see if you can make some of those trades and just kind of trust the process and go forward with it. Right. Uh, but that, that's something I'm going to be looking for. Cause it's, I found it really hard to spam players for picks straight up, you know, even in the preseason. I mean, we'll see if it changes with the preseason hype. Uh, but I found that that's not really an edge to do that. We used to be able to just grind those trades out over the last couple of years. And there'd always be fish that would give you picks. You know what I mean? Now, not so much. Now it's like, oh, I like that guy, but I'm not giving you a second. Well, I'm not trading him for a third. So now what do we do? We're somewhere in the middle, but we probably don't have the time to sit there and negotiate in the chat to find where the middle ground is. So this is an alternative way to try to propose something that looks like it's in the middle uh, and see if you can get some deals done. So that's the warp. That's the rookie pick warp. Uh, Hopefully it helped people kind of think about picks a little bit differently. Check out AOD Analytics of Dynasty 2020 if you want to look at it yourself. Uh, and we'll tag we'll tag Jordan in this post um, and let him know that we kind of did a show based on, you know, his chart and his book. And uh, if he wants to follow through and chime in and, you know, add any comments to it or whatnot, maybe we can have him on the show during the season in the future to talk about that. I'm sure he'd be willing to come on and talk to us about it. For sure. Yep. So you want to get into some uh, just some trades and training camp news? Another segment of that. Yeah. So what I was thinking with this one is. You know, what kind of, and we kind of talked about it already a little bit earlier, but what kind of trades are we spamming right now? Like, do you just see the news? Hey, Tyquan Thornton is killing it at training camp. Hey, hey, he just caught a touchdown in the preseason game. Isaiah Pacheco is running with the first team and he's looking really good right now. Are we just going ahead and spamming those guys right now? Or are you holding? So that that's kind of one of my things that I have troubles with all the time is, man, I know I should sell Romeo Dubs or Isaiah Pacheco, whoever the player is. Like, I know I only got paid like a fourth round pick to get this guy in my rookie draft. 
but he's doing so good right now. Do I hold on to him hoping that he's the next, you know, star in the NFL when it's most likely that he's probably not? You know, I always have that trouble like, man, if I if I trade him just for a third round pick upgrade or something like that, I'm going to be really kicking myself if he becomes the next star. So how do you kind of handle that? Well, I think that when it comes to a rookie, it's hard to, we, I mean, we just kind of talked about this with the, the warp data and the picks, but I think it's really hard to go and say, I've spammed Isaiah Pacheco. I believe I have him in seven leagues. I've spammed him in four leagues for seconds. Mm-hmm. It's probably totaled more than 50 offers. Guess how many have been accepted? None. Zero. Now, he'd also be a player that if I went and spam bought for a third, how many would be accepted? Uh, I, I would think some would get accepted. Maybe. Yeah. I haven't tried. But I would guess it's probably less than 25%. Mm-hmm. Just because if I'm a seller, I really only want to sell at what I perceive to be a profit and what we know inherently without even looking at the warp. I've known this for years and we've acted this way in our leagues for a while. A third is basically the lowest amount of like flexible draft capital that I would take for a legitimate player. Like there's the one-off deals where you'd be like, okay, this guy's literally a player I'm going to cut before waivers. I'll take fab for him. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. But other than that, if it's a player that I deem or you deem worthy of one of my roster spots, if you want him, you have to pay at least a third. There are very few circumstances am I like, okay, I'll take a fourth. Right. Honestly, if I'm going to take a fourth in a trade, it probably means I'm okay cutting that player when something else becomes available. Mm-hmm. So if a third is kind of like the minimum. So I look at every player that I've chosen to pick or pick up or draft, the third is like the minimum price. Now, a third on a guy like Pacheco that was actually drafted and has gotten a lot of buzz is different than a third on somebody like Zonovan Knight, who wasn't drafted, has a much harder battle to make the roster. Even though he's flashed a little bit in camp, he's a guy like if someone came to you and was like, I'll give you a third, yeah, you'd, just, you'd just take it. Yep. But Pacheco, he had a little bit higher pedigree. So I'm looking at a player like that. I'm going, okay, I what I would auto accept, regardless of my roster, is I want a second. Now that mm-hmm. can be a 2024 20, second, but there's very few people in Dynasty that are out there because it used to be that you'd run into analysts all day, all night on podcasts and Twitter, and they would put they would plant their flag. Pacheco's that dude, man. Go give a second. Yeah. And you know what happens to those analysts? They get crushed. Yep. They get crushed by process players that are out there going, okay, yeah, sure. You're kind of a sucker because that's a bad bet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to do it in one league and you just feel like, Hey, I have to get Pacheco in that one league. Fine. But when you have masses out there following you and you constantly are taking a big swing and you're going oh, I'd pay a first for this player because he's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. you're going to lose that because there's going to be a bunch of people on the other end that are going to go, huh, that's a sucker. You know what I mean? I, I'll take a first for that guy. Right. You know, like you're, that's not how you're going to, I guess, gain your fame or gain your, your following. You know what I mean? By taking big swings on players. So I think a lot of dynasty players have shied away from that because we're going to be wrong more often than we're right. So it, that's why I don't go out on Twitter and go, oh yeah, I'm paying a third for this guy. I could do that every day. 
This is what I'm trying to do in my leagues. Go spam for seconds. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't do that because I know it's against the process. It's against the optimal process to go out and pick one single receiver and give up a second for him. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I, I love like Kendrick Bourne and KJ Osborne. You know, I've been buying those guys, but you know what? I'm not going on Twitter saying, go pay a second. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay a third, but a lot of people aren't selling for thirds. So you have to find that middle ground. So I think with dubs, with Pacheco, I'll sell those guys for a second sight unforeseen. I don't care about the team. I'm more motivated to do it with the guys I have like 10 shares of. Uh-huh. But even if I only have one or two, who cares? If the offer comes in my inbox, I'm doing it. With the guys like Damian Pierce, Zamir White, I think those are the ones where you would, Tyler Algier, you would sell for a second. But I could see where people would say, I want a little bit more than a second, even though I think inherently you kind of know that it's going to be very hard for Zamir White or Tyler Algier or Damian Pierce to really ever be worth a first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think most people would say, well, I want like a second and a third. But yeah, it really is just a third, yeah. Or second and a second and a running back that's got a shot, a Sony Michelle, a Tontrell Hilliard, somebody like that. Right. So I'm basically looking at my sp- my spam sell price as being I need the leverage or I need like a 20% profit on what I paid, but I'm not against selling. I'm, I'm really, I have to lead myself away. Like I was talking about with Pacheco, I have to lead myself away from, Ooh, this team's really thin at running back. I built a, a hero RB squad here. I could use Pacheco. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't take, you know, this, this trade for a 24 second. That's where I have to be better and be like, if I get that offer, I'm just accepting it. Period. Even if I can sell myself where I might need him, I know inherently that the second is more valuable. So I think that's why you have to be a little more aggressive and you probably have to spam it like that 20% profit price and see if somebody comes back with something that might be enticing. So that's how I'm going about it. I I can't say I've had a lot of luck. Now, how do you go about, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times, like Devontae Parker last week, I'll use as an example. You know, a second is probably too much for the player, but a third is probably too little. How do you, how do you deal with like owners that do that? Like, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, you know, I won't, I won't sell them for a third, but I won't buy them for a second, you know, kind of deal. Well, I mean, I think definitely after today's show, we can, you, you offer a third, they decline, mm-hmm. offer a third and a fourth. Do they still decline? Probably. Okay. Offer a third and uh, Kenny yeah. Galladay. Mm-hmm. Someone like that. A, a clogger on your team that actually might look to somebody else like they have value. I think that's another place you have to go. Now, you have to be careful doing that because if I say I'm offering you Kenny Galladay and a third for Devontae Parker and you want the Devontae Parker side – you're kind of flag planning a little bit on that, right? Because you're not giving, you're not getting the leverage in that trade. I could sell myself yeah. that Kenny Galladay and Devontae Parker are the same fucking dude. Yeah. And really what you're chasing is the third. So give me the free third. I mean, if how many deals have you looked back and you go, oh, that's just a free third. You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. So, so really you're being a little bit arrogant by saying, I'm sure Parker's good and I'm sure Galladay sucks. And that's okay but at least acknowledge that that's what you're doing when you make that trade. So you have to be careful about, oh, well, he won't accept a third. What do I add? Let me just add another running back. Mm-hmm. 
Because, like, if I offer you Sony Michelle and a third for Pacheco, you might look at that deal and go, shit, I'll take the Sony Michelle and the third. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's exactly the type of deal that might entice you on the other side. So I think you have to be careful by just adding. But I'm not opposed to adding, okay, if I can't do it for a third, add a third and a fourth. If I can't do it for a third and a fourth, you know, let me ask you this on Parker. Would you give two thirds for Parker? Yeah, I think I would, especially after doing today's um, warp talk with the rookie picks. I think I would definitely do that because I think I think Parker. I mean, I'm not gonna say he's gonna have a thousand yards and ten touchdowns, but it's in the it's in the realm of possibility. I think. And I think that's probably how you buy some of these players. You can't get for a third. You throw multiple thirds, and if they still reject and they say, "I want a second, that's why you're in forty leagues. You just move on. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's outside the range of the, the risk that you want to take. You don't want to get into where you're buying guys like Parker for what could be a two Oh six. Right. Cause then, you know, you've probably got smashed in that deal. Yep. So I think that's how you go about, you know, I've been trying to buy more Kendrick Bourne and buy more KJ Osborne. If I can't pivot off of receivers that I don't want, Mm-hmm. then I'll go with the, okay, I'll add a third or I'll add two thirds. But once I get counters and like, I got a counter the other day, I was trying to sell, um, I was trying to sell Galladay for Kendrick Bourne mm-hmm. and they declined straight up. I can understand why it's straight up. That's an easy evaluation for the other person. They're just going to look at the two players and go, I'd rather have a than B. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I add a third and they still decline. Okay. Then I get a counter, but it's like now now they want to give me Kendrick Bourne in a trade where they give me a second. Mm-hmm. And now they're going up to an asset that I consider to be above a second. So now they're coming after my, like, you know, I don't want to say George Pickens because that's not a great example. But they're coming after my, you know, like Brandon Ayuk and they want to give me a second in Kendrick Bourne. Mm-hmm. And that's a savvy counter by the other person. But I also don't want to do that because that's not how I want to acquire a guy like Kendrick Bourne. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now I'm starting to move potential like actual warp assets and I'm going, no, I, that, that's not how I want to do it. So he countered and he goes, okay, put your money where your mouth is. If you really want Kendrick Bourne, you'll consider him worth close to a second. You don't want to pay a second, but I'm basically offering you two seconds worth of value for Brandon Ayuk. And Brandon Ayuk isn't a guy you necessarily would get a first for in a lot of leagues. Yeah. So he, he he turned it into a fair offer and I declined. So basically he called me out, he called my bluff, and I'm just not gonna be able to get Kendrick Bourne in that league. So I think that's kind of the back and forth cat and mouse game that you have to play. But I don't think a lot of managers are this savvy. Mm. And it's a lot of times what you talked about last week. They're just they're just declining because Eric wants the player. Yeah. But it's not that they have some grand plan that they want to upgrade to this asset or that asset. They just are Oh, you know what? Devontae Parker's been sitting on my roster for three fucking years. Oh, you want to get you want him now? Dude, price just went up. Yeah. Just went up, dude. So I think it you gotta you gotta go through and I know you hate trading with people, but I think you have to go through that back and forth a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And if it gets to the point where it's like, okay, a Kendrick Bourne for a third turned into Kendrick Bourne in a second, and I give up Brandon Ayuk, that is the complete opposite of the goal of what I started with to achieve. Yeah. And, and then just you just walk away. Out. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I always have that problems in our leagues 
and you know i always bitch to you about that stuff about stupid trade offers and stuff and it's like it drives me up a wall and i can't i can't get deals done at all and i'm like you know i can't get it done for this price but they want this on you know i'm like what is this guy smoking you know so yep it's good to bounce that off of somebody and and to have you and and, you know our destination devi group and your dynasty and chill group and all our other groups that we're in you know to kind of bounce these ideas off of each other and you know share our frustrations with each other too so i always uh enjoy uh each other's misery a little bit with that yeah it's it can be wearing i mean we talk about it how many times do we vent to each other of like it's frustrating just dealing with like literally somebody that's just so hard-headed on the other end mm-hmm. and we're the ones out there like i i mean i've said it many times on dnc i wake up in the morning I usually spend 30 minutes or so just looking at my teams, you know, sending out some trades, seeing what might've taken place the day before. And that's kind of my time to be the aggressor. You know what I mean? That's when I'll spend out the spam trades and then I'll just let things kind of play out throughout the day. But yeah, there's, there's times where you get to a back and forth and it's like, how did we get here? Or it's, you know, you send an offer to somebody, they decline, they don't counter. You send the opposite offer to them. They decline. They don't counter. It's like, dude, mm-hmm. what are you, what are you trying to do? Are you, are you trying to do anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not like my team's perfect, but I look at yours and I'm like, I, I don't even know what you're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's the frustration is just not everybody kind of views this thing the same way that we do, but it is what it is. Yeah, for sure. All right. So last topic for the show that I want to get into is who are we looking forward to seeing in the preseason this year? So we can just talk about a few players that we've probably stashed on our teams that were, you know, excited to see what they can do in the preseason this year. So my first one that I have picked up quite a bit in my leagues um, prior to the, you know, training camps even starting. And then more recently, I kind of went through some of my other leagues and made sure he was owned everywhere. And that was Jalen Warren, the running back for the Steelers. So he's a running back out of Oklahoma State who went undrafted. But I really liked his tape last year. I'm pretty sure he was a thousand yard rusher last year at Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, he's a decent pass catcher, but he's more of a hard nosed runner, good vision, stuff like that. And he's been really impressive at camp so far. Everything that I've um, heard so far on him is he looks really good. I'm going to talk about it tomorrow in the uh, Friday all gas newsletter, but Benny Snell came out and said, basically, you know, my main focus this year is going to be special teams. So I took that as, Oh, he doesn't think he's going to be the RB two. Someone's going to be the RB two there. And it ain't Anthony McFarland, who's been a bust so far. I'm thinking it's going to be Jalen Warren. So, you know, if Jalen Warren is still out there on your waiver wires, go ahead and go pick this guy up and just see what happens. Cause I think there's a pretty decent shot that he ends up being at least the RB three at minimum and makes the team. So I really like Jalen Warren from uh, Oklahoma stays with Pittsburgh Steelers now. So I like him. Another one that I'm excited to watch, I mean, as a Browns fan, I'm excited to watch David Bell. You know, he's just got back in the swing of things. He might not play tomorrow's game, I don't think. But once he starts getting in the camp, he starts moving around. 
you know, the Browns have had a couple injuries at receiver so far. Anthony Schwartz um, hurt his knee. He's back already, though. He's doing fine. Uh, Jakeem Grant just tore his Achilles, unfortunately. So that's really sucked. So, you know, some playing time really opened up there for David Bell because Jakeem Grant was going to get in there on offense too. So now it puts a little more pressure on Schwartz and David Bell to really get in there and play and see how they do. And the Browns really love David Bell. You know, Coach Stefanski talked about, you know, on the uh, Cleveland Browns YouTube show that they do, Building the Browns. You know, they showed the interview between Stefanski and David Bell, like the behind the scenes when they first met. And Stefanski's like, you know, I basically slammed the slammed my fist on the table to get you. I, I needed you here. You know, he loved his game. So he's really invested into David Bell. And if David Bell can show that he can be the starting slot receiver on this team, which is, is where he's going to play is in the slot, then I think David Bell is a guy that could really ascend and be, I don't want to call him Jarvis Landry, but he could be a 70, 80 catch type player in his prime hopefully. So kind of hoping David Bell gets in there and does, does really well. And then the last guy I want to see a little bit more of is Eno Benjamin. And it sounds like he's going to be the RB two right now in Arizona. And he's going to get on the playing field. You know, I don't want to say he's going to be out there 40% of the time, but he's going to get some carries and he's going to get some catches this year. Kind of in the chase Edmonds type role that Arizona has used in my opinion. James Conner, we all know his injury history. Last year, he was pretty healthy for the most part. But in Pittsburgh there, he got beat up quite a bit. And if he's expected to be the bell cow here again this year, you know he's going to end up breaking down probably again. So Eno Benjamin's going to get some run to be the starter at some point if Conner does get hurt. Or he's just going to play that Chase Edmonds role, and Conner and Eno Benjamin are going to split together. And you know that could be a very profitable spot for Eno Benjamin in fantasy. You know, if he can get me, I don't want to say he's going to be like Chase Edmonds and gets, you know, 50, 60 catches, but if he can get me 35, 40 catches, maybe a little less than that, that's, you know, I'll take that, you know, obviously with his running ability as well. So he has the opportunity to become the starter too, at some point, like I said, with the injury. So those are three of the players that I am looking forward to seeing here in the preseason. And what, what guys are you looking forward to Scott? Yeah, so when you put this on here, I mean, I, it would be I'd be lying if I said I looked at just the top of my ownership and said, okay, what players, if they really had a big preseason, would I love to unload half my shares? But I think some of these guys are players I'm truly excited to see how they look. Like Tristan mm. Ebner, you know, I've talked about Tristan Ebner. He is my highest rostered player in Dynasty, but I think he's flashed a lot in camp. He's almost assured to make the roster, mm. and it's kind of an unsettled backfield a little bit too, you know, like not saying he's going to be the starter, but he, I think he has a really good path to carving out a role over the next year or two mm-hmm. as even a, you know, 65, 35 part of a committee, which considering you picked him up for free, if he could just become, you know, something that could be usable, even if it's a two week injury and he's a guy that could catch four or five balls, you know what I mean? That's a guy I'm looking forward to watching. There's some tight ends too. I mean, uh, obviously, Zach Davidson. I've talked about him before, uh, but that's a that is a wide open depth chart. Like, and I don't believe in Irv Smith, but Irv Smith, even if Irv Smith is there, that that's one of those guys that was a, uh, you know, he was drafted by the prior regime, but he has some draft capital. He was a 
I believe he went to a D2 school. So it's hard to say you should have expected anything from him right away. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for a guy that has his size, I mean, I think he's six seven, like 250. To come out and actually is contributing a little bit. I mean, that's a player, when you draft a guy like that in day three from that type of school, you're like, you just hope this guy figures it out within like three years to where he's even like able to be used. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact they're actually using him on offense already, even in the preseason, like that's a player I'm looking forward to. Not saying he's going to end up being like a stud tight end, but if you look at all the things that might go into it, he could be one of those late bloomers from a small school that then you end up and you look up in two years and you go, this guy's a freak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like Tyler Conklin, same team. Yeah. And he's better than we thought. And it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, he came out of nowhere. No one even really talked about him last year. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, no one even really talked about it. Even though he was a draft pick, it was like, he just, he's never had any buzz. He's been available for free for since the beginning, since he came into the league. So that's another one I'm looking forward to. I know you're going to probably scoff at this one, but I'm intrigued by uh, Felipe Franks moving to tight end. And yeah. that that's a guy that's uber athletic that yeah. I, I think he's, I don't want to say I'm rooting for like a weapon, but I think he's going to get a shot this year in Atlanta to make plays and he's going to move to tight end. He's going to get a tight end designation. So that's another one I've been stashing over the last couple of weeks, just picking him up to see, cause he's a player that's changing positions. I figure they're going to give him a decent shot in the preseason. He's probably going to get reps with Ritter in the preseason too, because mm-hmm. they're going to play Ritter in the preseason quite a bit, I think. Mm-hmm. So just players like that, that, I mean, the tight ends, I'm always looking at where can you find cheap value at tight ends? Cause it doesn't take a lot from a tight end to go from Zach Davidson level to like tight end two level. You know what I mean? It doesn't take that at all. You easily can jump into that range overnight if a team likes you. And a lot of our leagues, like that matters. If you can find a tight end literally for free and they become, you know, tight end 25, like that's a major win. Mm. So those are ones I'm looking forward to. And then obviously a lot of the, a lot of the running back battles, like we talked about it on a couple of the shows before Uh, the Colts have a a fun running back battle. That's going to play out. You know, Philip Lindsay's the, the front runner, but He's got some guys we like behind him. The Vikings, the same thing. Like, I think we're we're just taking it for granted that we already know what those running back rooms are going to look like, and they actually have some talent. So it's not only the those battles, but who gets cut. I think there's guys on three or four teams where if they get cut, we would just pray they went somewhere else. Like, like is there anybody that comes to mind to you where you just look at their depth chart? You were telling me about the Miami guys earlier. Yep. Like just because Ahmed or Gaskin get cut, you're not immediately cutting them off their dy- your dynasty teams. You're going to probably give them a week to see where they sign, right? Because you're still interested in those guys. They just are going to have an uphill battle body wise to make their roster. Yeah, I'm going to wait till after week one uh, when the, their salary becomes non guaranteed if they sign for week two. You know, see where those guys land, and some of them might land right away with another team. So Gaskin and Ahmed were definitely two that I mentioned. Uh, Zion Ingram is another one. Yeah, like there's talk that he might get cut. Which, I mean, I think he's honestly the third best back there behind Connor, and I think him and Eno Benjamin are fairly similar in my opinion, but I, I think I prefer Ingram over Eno Benjamin. But yeah, even even that spot too. Zonovan Knight is another one that I'm very curious to see if 
the Jets do cut him or yeah, if they cut him, does another team sneak in and waiver claim him so that you know doesn't get on on their practice squad? Because he would obviously go to their practice squad if they could. Is a Quandre White another one that Miami's really liked and used? So there, there's a lot of running backs there in Miami. I mean, we can go, we could almost do a whole show on this, honestly, just talking about all these different running backs. But yeah, there, there's multiple ones. Yeah, like Ty Johnson, another one. The Jets have a really crowded running back room. You already mentioned Zonovan Knight. One, at least one of those guys is getting cut for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamar Jefferson, I'm still interested in him, even though he kind of faded away last year. Remember, he came in the league at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And who came in the league also at 20 years old, and we've already written off. They were both seventh-round picks. Uh, Eno Benjamin. Okay. Came in at 20, and he was a seventh-round pick, and we go, oh, he was a big Debbie name. He should have gone back to school, blah, blah, blah. And what, two years later, he continued to develop. And honestly, Jamar Jefferson will be younger in two years than Ty Chandler. So to just write him off like he's worthless, like I'll give him a shot if he gets cut and goes somewhere else because there's a lot of guys in Detroit too. There's like six guys in Detroit, you know what I mean? After they signed Justin Jackson and they still have Craig Reynolds and uh, Jamar Jefferson. I mean, like there's going to be somebody that gets cut in Detroit and I'm going to go, okay, let me see if they sign somewhere else. So those are two that I'm keeping an eye on for sure. uh, Along with some of the other backfields that you talked about. So it should be fun. That's the most fun thing for me in the preseason is seeing how all these battles shake out. We don't put in all this time to study, you know, who's going to be the third and fourth running back on a roster uh, for not to enjoy this next month or so of preseason games. Right. And like last year, there was guys that I really didn't even have on my radar that that popped up like Tony Jones, Makai Sargent, you know, Tyson Williams. Like I didn't really have any expectations or even have any of those guys even on my rosters. But hey, they were they flashed and became something like, you know, there's multiple guys in the league that could do that at the running back spot, too, that I'm like not even thinking of right now. So, yep, those are always cool to see. So, yep. All right. And lastly, our last segment of the show, your favorite. So the one that I came up with today is pretty easy. One is what is your favorite fantasy format? So do you like auction what kind of league type do you like do you like super flex tight end premium what kind of settings do you like anything like that uh favorite fantasy format it's tough i mean i think there's some basics that we won't play in a league if they don't have them Mm -hmm. like i think it has to be at least 10 starters it has to be super flex it has to be at least you know 30 man rosters like there's, there's some minimums, you know what I mean? You but if I said over like fifties, $50 entry. Yeah. Fee. Yeah. It, it's gotta be to the point where if, if I can't win, you know, close to a grand, if I win the championship, then I don't really want to play. It's not worth, right. You know, the, the days of, I mean, the days of playing in for a league where we put in our blood, sweat and tears into a league. And it's like, congrats, you won 200 bucks. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. I should have probably focused that you know, 18 hours that I spent on that league somewhere else because, uh, right. you know, eight, 18 hours over the course of a season setting lineups and waivers for $200, you know, I, I could have gone made $11 an hour somewhere else. You know what I mean? But right. yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, can, it, can I cheat and say the 
U.S. FFL leagues. Like I well, like the I like the format. I like the scoring. I like the fact that it's thirteen starters. I like the fact that it's got some Devi, but it's not. If you're gonna play, I mean, we're in some leagues. I'm in a Devi league or two Devi leagues, and this isn't even fantasy scouts, which is pretty deep. I'm in another Devi league where it's it's like ninety Devis enter the league every year. And once it's gone for like four or five years, dude, we're to the point where like every top, there might be a couple Devi picks that squeak through, but like the first round of Devi is like the 2025 class, the 2026 class, you know, it's right. like, we're already picking high school juniors and stuff. Right. So like, I don't enjoy that. Might as well play C2C. You know what I mean? If you're that deep on Devi, where like I have 25 Devis on my team and half of them won't be in the league till 2025 or 2026. Yeah. Like I, I like Devi, but when it's that deep, it kind of just like the league isn't super active. You know what I mean? Cause you got a bunch of teams that are just punting for like three or four years down the road. And it's really hard to make deals. So I think it, I like the limited Devi where it's, you know, between, I don't know, 20 and 50 players ish, but there's still some, you know, there's the rookie picks still have some value. Right. Uh, and then obviously the deeper starters, the cool auction setup. So, yeah, I mean, I'd honestly say the, the, the new auction that we just did. Maybe we'll do a show on it here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'd like to, um, I'd like to get Ray on for that one and talk about the USFL auctions that we've been doing that it's a, a league concept that me and Scott kind of created here about a month or so ago. And uh, we just finished up the first auction portion of that league and we're starting into the snake draft portion of it now. And we're going to be doing another one for the destination Debbie uh, Heisman tier members, we're going to be starting that here this coming Monday. Uh, another one because we just enjoyed the league so much, and then th- this one's going to be a little different. It's going to be best ball, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that too. Um, for my favorites, I, I agree with a lot of you said. You know, we're pretty much the same. I like. I think I'm starting to prefer auction a little more than just snake. You know, I've I've done some snakes and I've. I think you enjoy it and some others enjoy it a little bit more because you're more active in trading. And I just like want to pull my hair out trying to trade sometimes with people. So I think I prefer the auction a little bit more where I don't have to really trade as much in the start. And then I can kind of do my thing afterwards. I enjoy super flex a lot more than single. I don't think I have, I have one single quarterback league and that's the only one that I'll just keep. Tight end premium is another thing that I've started to make sure it's in pretty much all my leagues, and it is. I don't care if it's 1.5 or 175 or 2, whatever it is. You know, it's just as long as there's a little bit of a premium for the tight ends. And, you know, you've introduced this to me a few years ago, and I I enjoy it as the point per carry league. So usually our leagues are 0.15 or 0.25 per carry. And, you know, it gives a little bit of boost to the quarterbacks that rush. It gives a boost to the running backs, obviously, that get a lot of carries. And, you know, it, you pretty much want to be, you know, usually in most of our leagues, if it doesn't have point per carry, you know, and you start four flexes, you want to just receiver, 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 all the way down, pretty much that you're starting. If you can get, you know, whatever's six or seven of the top 75 receivers and you can start them every week, you know, you just go ahead and do it. But with point per carry, it almost flips it a little bit where you want to start, 
you know, all your running backs that you can in those flex spots instead of the receiver spots, just because, hey, if this running back's going to get 10 to 15 carries, you know, I'm almost halfway there just off of carry points of getting my 10 points that I'm kind of want to get from all those spots every single week. So that's another thing that I, that I've really enjoyed as well. You know, roster size. Yeah, I agree with you. Probably like 32, you know, expanded a little bit. I like that. I like having like the five rounds of draft picks, but I also like, you know, one of our 24 man leagues that we do where we have three, only three rounds of draft picks. So it means the waiver wire is a little more friendly out there because in some of our leagues where we have five rounds of draft picks, you know, you I look at the waiver wire right now and it's, it's super bare still. So maybe, you know, doing the first, second and third round picks only is another thing that I'm starting to like and, and think about for my leagues as well. But those are just some of the different kind of, formats that I prefer personally. Yeah, and I think the new uh, USFFL league we're doing, there's actually a point per target too, which makes yeah. it point per carry and point per target. People might say that inflates the scoring a little bit, but really what it's doing is it's rewarding the players that the NFL is giving touches to. Mm. Right? Like if a guy's getting 250 carries, that clearly is more valuable than a guy that's getting... 45 dump off passes, mm. you know, like, okay, maybe you for fantasy, we'd prefer the target. We always talk about targets are worth more than carries, but an NFL team that is giving a guy 250 carries, they clearly see that player as more valuable than the satellite back that gets 50 catches. They're, they're totally different roles, but point per carry and point per target, I think rewards the players that are being given the ball. And it, it takes away from needing, you know, a big touchdown to get there as a running back when it's not point per carry, but you're not a reception guy. Uh-huh. Whereas, you know, a, a player that is a good in between the tackles runner that an NFL team is going to give a legitimate number of touches to is going to score better in those formats. So I think it just kind of aligns with a little bit more of pick good players and don't just hack your way to getting cheap touches or cheap targets. Uh, but it's whatever floats your boat. But I'm looking forward to the continuing to expand as we do more leagues kind of turns me off to some of the ones that I have already. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the other things is I'm always looking for ways to not leave leagues, but you know, like one thing I'll probably be doing this off season is I'll, I'll give some of my teams away to patrons, you know, leagues that I'm still in that are 50, $60 leagues that are just not that they're boring or they're bad leagues. They're just, you know, it's a 12 team start 10, 1.5 premium, no point per carry. You know, it's just vanilla. So it's like that there's probably somebody out there that would love to have that team because it's probably a pretty good team, you know, that has picks and whatnot, but I just prefer to spend my time on another format. So, right. Good topic. I like, we could probably go do a whole show on like some fun league ideas, but that's a good topic. Good. Glad to pick that one. Yeah, and I I think we're probably going to be end up doing more of these USFL type startups almost every year from now on. I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have, you know, with your Patreon, I'm sure we'll end up starting up one. You know, I'm raise, you know, we'll probably end up starting more. You know, it's kind of like uh, a new unique format that we kind of created. That's that's a lot of fun. So I'm excited to to get more of those leagues rolling here too. Yep. Next one's going to start, I believe, next week. So we'll definitely talk about them on the show. All right. And then before we wrap up here, I just want to we'll, we'll talk about a little bit about the uh, 
the games that are going on right now, I'll just give you the guys who scored touchdowns so far. So right now it's 14 to 10, Baltimore, Tennessee. Mike Davis pounded one in. And Tyler Huntley threw a touchdown to Shamar Bridges, who's been the top UDFA wide receiver at Baltimore camp. So that was a good one. And then uh, Malik Willis ran one in. Yeah, I saw, I've seen Twitter uh, talking about Malik Willis quite a bit. Yeah, he's so far at where I'm at in the third or uh, second quarter. He's six for 11 for 107 yards. So that's not bad. He's got the one touchdown rush. So, yeah, that's looking good. Watch out, Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, and then in the Giants and uh, Patriots game, uh, obviously I talked with Hoyer to Thornton earlier. Uh, Tyrod Taylor threw a touchdown to Richie James, so that was nice. Uh, T- Tyrod's actually 13 for 21, 129 yards and a touchdown, and that's you know pretty much only in like a quarter and a half of football so far. And then uh, Kevin Harris ran one in, so that was nice to see Kevin Harris pound one in. Yeah, another one of those guys that's uh, potentially on the roster bubble that we would definitely want to see where he lands. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, that is it for this week, guys. Next week, it is going to be another unique uh, show for us. It is going to be mine and Scott's FFPC main event uh, draft. It's going to be next Thursday, the 18th, I believe it is. Yep. And we are picking from the 101 spot. So we got that uh, determined to us a few weeks ago. So we will be the 101 for our FFPC main event, uh, high stakes league. So this is, you know, a $2,000 buy-in league pretty much. And, you know, we did pretty good last year in our FFPC leagues, me and Scott. Um, Actually, our main event, we came up five points short of making the playoffs last year in our league. So that was a little kick in the balls. But um, me and uh, Scott's partner, Jay Reed, shout out to Jay. Me and him made the playoffs in our league and, and won some money. And then me and Scott also did a live auction draft league there, and we won that league. So that's how we're pretty much being able to play this main event this year um, for us. So it's going to be pretty cool. I think, you know, I learned a lot last year from playing in the FFPC with you guys live in Vegas. You know, you've been doing it. You're a veteran now. You're like four or five years deep into this now. You know, this will be my second season of really getting into it. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting type of strategy. We kind of talked about it a little bit already with, you know, the playoffs start in week 13 for FFPC. So if you have a player, you know, you're 101, whoever has a week 13 or week 14 by like Christian McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor do this year. Do you take those guys? You know, it's something that me and Scott still have to discuss on what we want to do. Obviously in any redraft league, those guys are probably the one two smash you know, in any leagues, but when this format where you start the playoffs in week 13, 14, can you really afford to have your one Oh one missing the playoffs for you? So that's something that me and Scott have to decide still, uh, where, where we want to go with it. But I know what are your thoughts on, on, uh, next week's draft, Scott? Yeah. I mean, we'll hash out the strategy of what we want to do with the one Oh one. I mean, this is your one main event and yeah. I don't have any other teams that are picking from, this spot in the draft either. So, I mean, I think we could both justify kind of playing it a little safe with not taking the bye week players at one Oh one. 
just because I'm not going to have any other, you know, in, in our other, my other six main events that I have, I don't have any 101s or 102s. So I'm hopefully not going to have to make that decision. And hopefully the people in those leagues pick those players. Mm-hmm. But there's also a shot that somebody doesn't. And then I get one of those guys at, uh, you know, like the 103 or the 105 that we get. Right. Uh, but I think since it's your only league, it's our only league together. And it's the only one I have that decision. I I'm fine with kind of going the conservative route and not taking one of those two. Right. So yeah. I think we're on the same page with that. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll go back and forth and text messages and, and stuff over the next week before uh, next Thursday when we do that draft. But yeah, we'll do the draft on Thursday. Obviously our episodes uh, post on Saturday. So once that gets posted up on Saturday, I'll post the draft board for everybody to look at and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, our, our last draft, I think we did really good. You know, hopefully this one, you know, goes the same for us. Yeah. Looking forward to it. That'll be uh next Thursday. We'll be uh, recording that. The draft will be next Thursday night. So we'll have that out by Saturday. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. But yep, that is it for this week, guys. Episode five in the books. And we'll be back for next week for episode six. I am at Eric Vanek NFL on Twitter. You can follow me there. Uh, you can follow the show, obviously, at the Destination Debbie Radio Network. You know, subscribe to them uh, on your podcast feed. And you can get this show and all the other shows that Destination Debbie offers on there as well you can follow this show at america's game pod on twitter and i i'll post um some of the warp stuff that we were talking about earlier with jordan mcnamara um i'll post that once i get the show up on saturday for you guys and then also make sure you guys follow our newsletter that we have that's been going really really well it posts every friday to your email so all you gotta do is sign up it's free Uh, you get it every friday and it's you know, a list from all of our, our whole Destination Debbie team, you know, is contributing to this newsletter, giving you great news and content. That's really awesome to see every single week. Uh, Brandon puts it all together with pictures and sets it all up for all of us. So shout out to Brandon. Brandon does a really good job uh, setting that all up for everybody. So it's something really cool for you guys to have in your email every single week. And you could subscribe to that at allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. And that is Beehive is spelled B-E-E-H-I-I-V. B-E-E-H-I-I-V. So make sure you guys subscribe to that as well. And Scott? Just follow me at Charles Chill FFB, uh, Dynasty and Chill. We have a Patreon. Um, and shout out to Ray. I still use GroupMe. Sorry, Ray. We haven't moved to Discord yet. I'm still living in the Stone Age. But uh, yeah, you can check that out at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Uh, just you know, check out my Twitter bio. Honestly, I have a lot of content going in a lot of different places. I do a lot of guest spots on other shows. So if you like what you hear, uh, just check it out there. But another game, another America's game in the books, Eric. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's awesome to have you with me on this journey, man. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward uh, to next week as well. So we will see you guys next week. Be chill, everybody. Thank you.